It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Oh, yes, indeed he is. And he's here to say good afternoon to you. Welcome. Great to have you on board for this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Trust you're doing well and having a great day so far. I just wanted to, uh, real quickly before it escapes my mind, again, thank all of our listeners that um, help partner with us with Save the Children. Um, The goal and what we accomplished was just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, We were able to rescue 275 children. These are all kitties very good. Under the age, and applause for you, under the age of uh, five, five, six years old and less uh, that are literally starving. And uh, so the resources that you provided provides the emergency, especially formulated food for um, acute, severely malnourished children, along with medicine to get them back to health again. And uh, last count, 275 kids is what you did. So I thank you very much on behalf of uh, all of us here at KFAX and, of course, uh, all these kiddos for uh, your effort and uh, your generosity. We've got a pretty full schedule for you tonight. Coming up at uh, 545, Brad Dacus is going to join us for an update on California State Assembly Bill 2756. This pertains to homeschoolers in our state, and it's good news We'll find out exactly what transpired with this bill when Brad Dacus joins us coming up tonight about 5.45. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center tonight. Keep you on top of your ride home on this Tuesday. And let's get down to cases, shall we? Um, interesting day today on Wall Street. It's been an interesting, what, I guess uh, four months so far. Um Certainly, we're beginning to see some encouraging word in terms of earnings reports. Apple, for example, uh, outperforming expectations. Uh, this is after it had been all these concerns and hang ringing over the uh, iPhone 10 and so forth. And a lot of folks said, well, without Steve Jobs, it just isn't the same. Well, uh, this, the largest publicly traded company in the United States, reported earnings that beat estimates for the 20th time in the past 21 quarters. Not a bad track record, I would say. They reported earnings per share of $2.73 against the expected $2.67. You think, well, you know, what's six cents amongst you? But apparently it's enough to get a lot of attention on Wall Street, and uh, that's certainly good news. It helped to uh, buoy um the performance on the Dow today, while the Dow ended closed, uh, closed rather down slightly, uh, nothing really severe. There's some mixed news, and I think it's the manner and the emotion in which um, investors respond to the news as to what really happens on Wall Street. We're going to talk a bit about all of that and where things are headed as we are uh, uh, one month into the second quarter here in 2018, Dan Celia joins us. Dan is the CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, national host of Financial Issues Live. Dan, as always, great to have you on the show. 
Craig, it's great to be here. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. Well, give me your sense of your, of your report card. As I indicate, there's kind of uh, you know mixed news, and it's always interesting to see what exactly will capture the attention of investors, what they will respond to. There is as much um, hard numbers and figuring and earnings reports that drive Wall Street as just, quite frankly, good old-fashioned emotion that drives Wall Street. I guess in terms of what we've seen so far this year for the Trump administration, 2017 was a far better year than 2018 has turned out to be. But, you know, uh, what's the old phrase? Uh, don't don't count them over till after the fat lady sings, and she's not even warmed up yet. We've got a long way to go. We still have uh, two quarters and two solid months yet to go in 2018. But just your your overall sense of the health of the economy, where things stand, what, where, where do you see us? Well, I think, Craig, you know, uh, the only thing that's changed since the last year is uh, a little bit more emotion, a little bit more uncertainty, a few more geopolitical events um, that are having an impact on the markets, tariffs, taxes, uh, those kinds of things, certainly all impacting uh, the market. You know, as far as earnings go, I, I think we have the potential here in the next couple of weeks of seeing probably the best earnings quarter than we have seen maybe since 2007 or, or, be, or before. And I think it doesn't matter uh, really in, in the grand scheme of things what this first quarter does, as long as it's good. And if the first quarter, which it obviously is going to be a good one, I mean, uh, there's almost, it would be almost impossible for that not to happen at this point. I think next quarter, the quarter that we're in right now, the second quarter is even going to be better. And uh, so I think from an earnings perspective, I think things look great. The problem is the markets, not the economy, but the markets aren't focused on earnings as they normally would be. And it is really uh, fairly odd, to be honest with you, that they are just not focused on earnings like they should be. So let's say, well, okay, earnings, you know, we're not going to focus on them. Well, then let's look at the economic data that's come out, all the economic data that's come out since the beginning of the year. The economic data is off the charts. We have off the charts, literally, uh, all-time record highs in, in consumer confidence, business sentiment, business investment, unemployment is going down, inner-city unemployment is at an all-time record low and continues to go down. I mean, it goes on and on and on from, from the fundamentals of the economy. So you've got the underlying fundamentals of the economy extremely strong. Frankly, Craig, that's all I care about and all I look about. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I care about earnings. That's great. But in the end, it's going to be about the economy and the fundamentals of the economy. And nothing so far, not even all the political events of the day and the uncertainty, have really budged the underlying fundamentals of the economy in a negative way. They're all still very strong. And I believe, I hope I'm right about this, but I think that we could easily see a deal on NAFTA by, well, I, I would say in the next couple of weeks. I think we're very, very closely, very close. Taking that piece of uncertainty off the table is going to have a huge positive, it's going to be a huge positive for the economy, for the administration. Then if we can renegotiate, continue, Germany very much wants to negotiate. Uh, the rest of the Eurozone are a little uh, cold about that, but nonetheless, we are negotiating this tariff situation 
throughout the Eurozone. I think we're going to go and negotiate with Japan as well. And we're sending a delegation to China to negotiate. And if we can get that uncertainty off the table, NAFTA off the table uncertainty, then I think look out economy. Because I think if we can get that done before, within, you know, before the, uh, what's the next break of Congress? They have so many, I can't keep track of them. But on the, the next break of Congress and summer recess and all that good stuff, if we can get that done, I think it's going to dramatically impact November election. Well, and there's, there's one more issue here that you, um, a bit to my surprise, didn't even mention, but it's also a big one. It's one that has not only had Wall Street jittery, but has had Main Street jittery and has had the Pentagon jittery. In fact, scientists even pushed the so-called um, nuclear doomsday clock perilously close to midnight, and that is the saber-rattling between North Korea, South Korea, and the United States. Now, my goodness, uh, if that if that gets actually addressed, and this is not just the usual kicking the can down the road as past no. administrations have done, this is not simply temporarily placating Pyongyang with uh, you know a couple of easing of sanctions and a little bit of money, but it's actually something that is significant here, and Trump has been able to seriously get the attention of Pyongyang in a fashion that would bring long-term resolution uh, to this this troubled character there for, um, quite frankly, many of our allies in the region, North Korea, certainly Japan, I mean, South Korea, rather, Japan, et cetera, et cetera. That could be huge, too. Well, that will be huge. That's that political, uh, geopolitical event, the uncertainty that I was talking about. We get that resolved, and, but it's not going to get resolved, obviously, uh, immediately, but just on the road to seeing that resolved. If we get, uh, you know... Uh, Iran, uh, the uncertainty in and around uh, Iran right now in that agreement, we get some of those things on track to being resolved, the, the, the tailwinds are going to be amazing. And I think we're very close. Now, that's not to say another geopolitical event's not going to rear its ugly head somewhere uh, around the world. I still am concerned with oil and oil demand and some issues in and around oil, that could impact the market. My biggest concern from an underlying fundamentals of the economy, though, my very biggest concern is financial sector. Uh, Spain, Portugal, Deutsche Bank, uh, some, some financial sector primarily for Europe. I've been whining about it for two years. I've been talking about it for two years. And finally, everybody else is starting to talk about it because those issues never got fixed. And now, this week, we're seeing some people talking about it. Uh, Deutsche Bank's in trouble. We've got uh, Royal Bank of Scotland closing 100, uh, 367 branches. That is not good. This is the Royal Bank of Scotland. It's one of the oldest institutions in the world, and they're closing branches in, in, the, in the U.K. and Wales uh, trying to stop bleeding. So the financial sector and the banking sector um, is, is a huge uncertainty that everybody's afraid of talk, uh, to talk about, and rightly so. I'm glad they're not talking about it. I think they they uh, got the unwritten kind of word, listen, let's not beat this, let's not talk about this too much. It's only going to make your book worse. Just let's uh, see if we can get this resolved. The problem is Mario Draghi is never going to get this resolved. It isn't going to happen. Um, and so that's, that's a concern. So we still have those things, but I think if we can get rid of some of these, uh, the, the bigger points, as you mentioned, 
the geopolitical events going on with, uh, with uh, North Korea and what is happening there, and uh, some of these other uh, trade uncertainties and things, I think we're going to have a, uh, it's going to be a real, we're going to make a real tough road for liberals in November, and I think we're going to be well on our way to uh, some real stable uh, uh, economic data. Dan Celio with Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, some analysis of where we're at in the whole economic political arena, and in particular as earnings reports are continuing to come in. Uh, today, we're that Chrysler Motors are up. Um, we saw a, uh, a nice uptick for them with the Jeep brand sales up by 20%, and uh, it's going to be... Um, no report yet from General Motors, but uh, good news there certainly with uh, with Chrysler, who isn't that the many years ago was in really serious serious trouble. And home prices, <laughs> well, we live in the Bay Area, we know all about that, don't we? We'll talk more with Dan Celia, get more of his insights as we are um, getting his opinions on where things stand in the. Um, political economic arena today. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversations. But first, let's get you updated on traffic. Head over to 516 to the KFAX Traffic Centers. We say good afternoon to Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Dan Celia, our guest in tonight's program. He is the CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries. Information, by the way, on the web at financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. I have to wonder, Dan, just to kind of put a, a bow on the conversation we were having prior to the break pertaining to a lot of the volatility and noise on Wall Street. I just have to wonder if how much of this is also influenced by some of the usual suspects, be that Bloomberg, CNBC, Wall Street Journal. They were so used to for so long not having a- any earnings to talk about. Price earnings ratios for so long were so far out of whack that they focused on all these other little tiny things. And after a while, I suppose it's it's hard not to look at all of that and, and as a result perhaps end up tilting the impression that some people get uh, pertaining to what's going on in the markets. And as a result, a lot of decisions that are being made not founded on good research, good numbers, um, actual price earnings ratios, and what's going on in the fundamentals of the economy, but rather simply just responding to sort of the din, the noise, the racket that's out there. Yeah, well, you're hitting the nail on the head, um, Craig, because I'll tell you, you know, they're responding in such a way that it's so obvious that they're, they have these ideological blinders on, and they just can't do some of this. It's just too much for them. Uh, and they're really struggling in that regard. So they're trying, they're doing their best to try to put a uh, negative spin on so many things that just aren't negative. It's driving me crazy. But, you know, they look at everything through a very different lens. And it's sad to me, as a guy who used to be on Wall Street, it's sad to me to see the bias. And, and not just, listen, the thing that I loved about economics, the reason why I gravitated to be an economist, is because numbers are truth. You know, they're just truth. They just are. I mean, you could try to change them all you want. Maybe Common Core has changed a little bit. But it is truth. It is truth. And, you know, for them to be able to dig so deep to find one piece of negative uh, uh, little chink in the armor that is totally irrelevant to the number 
and uh, build an entire headline and, and talking points around it, it is just pathetic. And it's one of the things that I do every day is try to bring the truth out. I don't have to read between the lines. It's, it's all very obvious what they're doing is adding stuff between the lines based on their uh, ideological viewpoint. And uh, remember, deep down inside, there's an awful lot, not, not everybody, certainly, but there is an awful lot that want desperately to see this president fail want the November elections not to be about the economy, want certainly the 2020 elections not to be about the economy. And um, they, they keep thinking, I believe, if they keep saying it, uh, that you know things will get bad. But I'll tell you something that I find absolutely amazing, Craig. They're not scaring off these consumers, and they're not scaring off uh, even the most liberal business man who is spending an enormous amount of money in business investment, record numbers of business investment. So it's not working. So at some point in time, they're going to have to uh, start drinking out of the same punch bowl that that all of us that are celebrating these good numbers are. Well, certainly small business owners uh, continue to be confident. One report that I read yeah. indicated, uh, according to CNBC, that uh, fully 60% of small business owners expect to see an increase in revenue over the next year, in large part due to the tax cut relief, along with things like uh, renegotiating of NAFTA and coming to a, a little bit more fair, reasonable balance in trade um, matters with uh, countries like China, et cetera, et cetera. I have to wonder your take on the housing market. I realize California, we're kind of in a weird spot here right now where, my goodness, the, the uptick has been ridiculous. If if historically we would see a five to maybe four, five, six percent per annum increase in uh, equity year over year, now it's averaging, I don't know, um, home prices in one month jumped seven percent from March to April in California. So, wow. Uh, could any of this potentially uh, move into real overheated territory? Could it, is it at all poised to potentially recreate some of the circumstances that were there in 2007, 2008? Well, I think it could. I mean, I think that if we, if we do see things uh, in the broader market start to turn sour, um, there's going to be a problem. And we have a, we have a huge, and I don't know about California, but just nationally on average, I know this problem exists in, where I, I live outside of Philadelphia. On the East Coast and a, a very you know uh, tough area too to buy, and not like California by the way, but still tough. But nonetheless, uh, we we have a real inventory crisis. I mean, it, it is now crisis mode of inventory, and the problem with that it's great for sellers, of course, but the problem with that is uh, we can't rebuild. We're not building the inventory that we need. And, you know, we're still seeing a lot of enthusiasm uh, from home buyers, but there's nothing out there. And now we've got interest rates going up a bit, and we have home prices going up dramatically because of the lack of inventory. And um, it, it is, that's going to be a problem, and it is going to create some overheating. My biggest concern is if things turn sour, now you're going to have overvaluation houses. We're going to look like 2008 all over again, and people start to become upside down in their mortgage. When we're seeing coming back, I know this is hard to believe for any of us that have common sense, but we see coming back subprime loans, 2% loans, 5% loans. You know, in 2010, it was 
20% down or go away. Now all of that has come back with a vengeance. Uh, wages are going up. That's a very good thing. It's good for home buyers as well. But certainly we, we uh, better be careful. And I think the only thing that is really going to help right now is inventories and new home construction. And here we go. We see construction spending. I was very disappointed about this number today. But we get housing uh, construction numbers out. I was hoping, hoping to get about a half of 1% on the positive side. We ended up having a negative 1.7% construction spending. And that's a month of March number. But still, uh, that is not good. It's real scary. So I don't know if... if uh, Builder sentiment is running scared. But the only thing that is going to fix these overheated prices right now is more inventory coming into the marketplace, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So that is definitely a concern. And certainly the challenge of trying to get all that construction done in a rapid pace to uh, to really match the level here, certainly in the Bay Area, of, of job opportunities. I mean, it seems like everybody is in a, a, a hiring frenzy right now, but, you know, where do you live? And uh, staying at your local Motel 6 for a while, that, uh, that gets old real quick. So the inventory issue is certainly of a concern. And uh, longer term, I mean, well, what's the watchword to anybody? If anybody even suggests, there's the hint that you consider uh, a so-called negative amortization mortgage. Don't walk in the opposite direction, but run in the opposite direction. That uh, that foolhardiness is the great way to lead yourself into economic ruin, to be sure. Learning proper stewardship of money that um, that has its basis, certainly, from a uh, from a biblical viewpoint, is a big part of what Dan with Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries does. And you can get information about his broadcast, Financial Issues Live, on the web at financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. All right. Our thanks to Dan Celia for being with us. Great job, Dan, as always. Good time and uh, great information. We'll visit with you again uh, real soon. Right now, though, we're going to visit quickly with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Got a look at the road ahead here on this Thursday. We're going to give away some goodies here, too. We got tickets to give away. Well, we'll do that in a minute. Right now, though, let's give away information about what's happening traffic-wise. Michael, what's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. 536 here on this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. We've got some goodies to give away here. When I was a kid, it was um, Chip Stads and Johnson Ice Follies, which uh, today has morphed into Stars on Ice. And they are, in fact, going to be here in the San Francisco Bay Area at the San Jose Arena on Sunday, May the 13th at 4 o'clock. It's Mother's Day, isn't it? How about taking Mom to go enjoy Stars on Ice? Um, There's some uh, great people that are going to be there. Uh, Maya and Alex Schubatini. Of course, they were 2018 Olympic gold medalists. They're going to be uh, there as part of the uh, performance. And uh, who else here? Medalists uh, Merrill Davis and Charlie White, three-time national champion and 2016 world silver medalist Ashley Wagner. On and on the list goes. They'll be in performance at Stars on Ice. Again, this will be Sunday, May 13th at 4 o'clock at the SAP Center in San Jose. You can go to Ticketmaster.com or KFAX.com for details and to order your tickets or... 
You can call right now, 888 and win a pair. That's 888-367-5329, 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Be callers number. Come up with a really big number here. How, how, how hard do you want to work, Jarrell? We can come up like caller 1,400. No? Not, not. <laughs> a lot. Uh, apparently. I tell you what, let's make a caller's number 11 and 12. 11 and 12 it is. 888 Call now. Win a pair of tickets to Stars on Ice, performing Sunday, May 13th, 4 o'clock at the San Jose Arena. Details on the web at kfax.com. Win your pair right now. 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Coming up the following weekend is going to be the annual Spring Women's Conference hosted by our friends over at Grace Bible Church, Pastor Steve Converse and Company in Redwood City. And joining me now is keynote speaker. She is a best-selling author. In fact, uh, you might already be familiar with her best-selling Bible study series, Becoming a Woman of Excellence. Cynthia Heal joins us. Cynthia, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Craig. It's good to be with you. So you were going to be, as I mentioned, speaking at the 2018 Grace Bible Church Spring Women's Conference that will be coming up on Friday and Saturday, May 18th and May 19th. You were taking your topic from 1 John 2 and 6, Living Like right. Jesus. Tell us more about that. Well, the book, I was, uh, I was what someone said, that uh, you can read the Bible a thousand times and it's always fresh and new. And I was reading through First John a couple of years ago, and First John 2, 6 just stood out to me. It, it says literally, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And that is pretty clear. And I thought, oh my goodness, that, that is something I would really like to learn about and would like to have in my life. So I've been studying that, and that's what I want to share uh, when I come in May. And, you know, th- this is certainly something that for all of us, you, you never master. Uh, it, it's, no. it's sort of an ongoing, it's an ongoing, it's, it's much like Paul talked about, you know, you have to work out your salvation, that this is an ongoing yeah. growth process. So I guess in that Absolutely. regards then, Cynthia, whether you're talking about a, a younger woman who is new in her relationship with Christ or somebody that has walked with the Lord for years and years and years, there's really going to be something for everybody in this two-day women's conference. I pray it will be, Craig. Yes, and that's why all of just about everything I write always has the word becoming in it because you're exactly right. It's always a process. And over the course of the two days, as we mentioned, it's going to be Friday, May the 18th. That'll be 7 p.m. And then Saturday the 19th, it will run from 9 a.m. until 2.30 p.m. How is the, the two-day conference structured? Well, uh, it, I will speak four times, and of course, the, the Great Bible Church is so hospitable. There'll be plenty to eat and a, a lovely luncheon and time to just interact. But I will speak four times, and I'll even have a little uh, fifteen-minute time for question and answer time, which I enjoy doing. So um, it'll be fun, and uh, we always have a good time with uh, Stephen and Bika. At the church, 
And, you know, for listeners that are familiar with the ministry of um, Grace Bible Church there in Redwood City and Steve Converse, of course, they have a program here, Steve does, on KFAX. Uh, this is not something that's just for the gang. In other words, oftentimes churches will host a conference, and it's sort of an opportunity for all the ladies of that congregation to get together and fellowship and spend time in God's Word. But this is really open to the public and for anybody. Yes, yes, any any woman particularly, yes, that's right. It's, they'll, they'll have it kind of frilly for all of us, so <laughs> it'll be fun for anyone who would like to come. Yes. And uh, the good news is registration right now, if you do so prior to the uh, the 12th of May, is just $20. You can't beat that. Again, the dates right. for the... Right. That's that's a good deal. That's Makes it possible for everybody to go. And, you know, I would also encourage women that are thinking about somebody in their life that maybe they have served as a mentor to or have discipled that could benefit from a two-day conference like this uh, that really, you know, based, again, on the foundation of Cynthia's best-selling Bible series, Becoming a Woman of Excellence, uh, Living Like Jesus. Boy, that's something all of us can benefit from. So I would encourage you maybe to think about um, a woman in your life that you would like to invite or bless to be your guest at an event like this. The two-day conference, again, will run both Friday and Saturday. The evening meeting or service will be um, Friday, May the 18th at 7 p.m., and then it's a pretty full day on Saturday morning that will run from 9 a.m. until 2.30 p.m. with a break for uh, lunch, of course, hosted by our friend Pastor Steve Converse at Grace Bible Church, the church located at 2225 Euclid Avenue in Redwood City. Again, the registration deadline is May the 12th, and the cost is just $20 per person. More information and registration available online at gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org, something that they do every year, usually have a, a great sellout crowd and a good opportunity for you to hear um, one of not only the nation's leading Bible study authors, but women's conference speakers, Cynthia Heald. Cynthia, again, if you recognize the name, is the creator of the Becoming a Woman of Excellence a Bible study series, and she will be the keynote speaker this year addressing the topic of living like Jesus, taken from, <coughs> pardon me, taken from 1 John 2 and 6. Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. Details available on the web for you to register. Go to gracebibleonline.org, and if you kind of scroll down, you'll see the link to the Women's Conference there, and you can easily do your registration online. GraceBibleOnline.org. Our thanks to Cynthia Heald for being with us tonight. Look forward to having Cynthia here in the Bay Area coming up in a couple of three weeks here. Okay, 5.45, the old clock on the wall tells me. We're going to swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center and see what's going on as you make your way home. The latest with an update, Michael Bennett. Michael, what's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation here. Just 10 minutes away from the hour of 6 p.m. on the... Tuesday edition of Lifeline. We follow the story, my goodness, it's probably three months ago now, I suppose, uh, the story of David and Louise Turpin and their 13 children that ranged in age from two years old to, I think, 29 years old, that, um, according to authorities, were literally hosting a little house of horrors 
for their 13 children that were locked up in deplorable circumstances that oftentimes were chained to the beds. And um, every child uh, to the last one were all severely malnourished. And while this case will uh, continue to unfold in the courthouse, the good news is that the children have been rescued. They're now doing much better. One of the issues to come out of this was the fact that these children had been homeschooled, not just here in California, but also in their native um, Texas. And so immediately, this brought out of the woodwork people that said, aha, never miss a crisis as an opportunity to do some manipulation. And so they sort of um, immediately leapt upon um, the sad story of what the Turpins allegedly did to their 13 children to somehow argue that the real problem here, the real issue at hand, according to Assemblymember Jose Medina, was that we didn't have enough controls on homeschoolers. Yeah, as if there's this just list all over the state, right? And quite frankly, let's be clear about something. The fact that they were homeschooling is completely disconnected and immaterial to the real matter at hand here. Well, with that, there was a anti-homeschooling bill created in Assembly Bill 2756. We've talked about it before. Now we talk about it with the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus and... uh, um, Counselor, we appreciate you taking time to be with us tonight. I understand that there is some good news on the homeschooling front tonight. What is it? Oh, there certainly is. Uh, Assembly Bill 2756 uh, was tabled and uh, effectively uh, killed uh, after uh, scores of homeschoolers swarmed the state capitol. Of course, we at Pacific Justice Institute testified against it. We weighed in with our legal opinion uh, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, regarding the matter, and uh, it's a it's a tremendous uh, success, and how uh, how parents and, and citizens uniting uh, can really still have an impact on a very liberal state legislature, which is not known for being uh, parents right friendly. It, it strikes me, looking at it's some of the details of the bill as originally written, that it seemed to be, as I suggested in my opening remarks, Counselor, a Trojan horse. I mean, for example, one of the provisions here was that um, uh, fire inspections would have to be conducted of all homeschooling families. Well, to begin with, I don't know where you find enough firemen to engage in that uh, without literally taking them out of the firehouses and not available to deal with things like, oh, I don't know, the occasional fire, right. <laughs> and and the notion that somehow, because they're homeschooling, we need to make sure that the children are safe in those homes, and yet, to all of the millions of California children that go home from public schools and private schools every day to their home, that those those places don't, those residences don't need to be inspected as well. I mean, it just, it just seems as if they were reaching at straws to come up with any excuse to intrude upon the parental rights of homeschooling parents and families. Yeah, it really it was premised upon a, a bigotry, an obvious bias and discrimination uh, and stereotyping against homeschoolers, when in reality, uh, homeschooling families are actually very more, more safe and stable, if you will, uh, oftentimes than children who are, say, from public schools or, or, uh, or even private school families. So this kind of stereotyping, generalizing, um, you know, is, 
is, is most unfortunate. And, and homeschooling families saw this for what it was. It was the government assault to, uh, to invade the families, invade the homes, uh, and impo- impose restrictions and regulations and require, uh, you know, parental, um, you know, being credentialed, parents being credentialed as teachers. Uh, that would have eliminated, you know, all, overwhelming majority of the, uh, the parents who were homeschooling uh, on its face. And uh, it, was, it was very dangerous. There was even a, a, a legislation pending that was going to have uh, a list of all the parents homeschooling, a list made public so that anyone, say someone wanted to target homeschoolers or, or make anonymous complaints to social, social workers, CPS, uh, to come investigate homeschooling families, they'd be able to do that. Mm, I mean, anyone like maybe, I don't know, people with an agenda that work for the California Teachers Union? Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting about this, too, is that if you if you look at just the the facts at hand, and, and, and the facts are, as you look at the number of students that go through homeschool versus private school versus public school, and you see the performance numbers, how many children that are homeschooled that go on to two- and four-year colleges and universities, what their average SAT scores are. We know that by far children that are either come up through private schools or through homeschools without any inconsistency always outperform students that go through the public school system, and yet somehow they would argue that you need to suddenly have credentialed parents in there in order to give instruction. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it defies logic at every level. Yeah, yeah, there's no correlation with regards to uh, teaching credentialing and the quality of, of academic perf- uh, teaching performance. Uh, in fact, it's, if anything, it'd be inverse relationships. So it, it makes no sense at all. Of course. Public school teachers have, have, have a lot of other burdens and things that they're going through, given. But uh, to put that requirement on homeschooling families, where they're statistically are uh, uh, excelling not only public against public schools, but also even private schools in terms of uh, SAT testing, uh, is ridiculous. So, well, you know, and you mentioned about public schools and, and the whole issue of credentialing. As I recall, uh, one of the best teachers I had happened to be a history teacher, and I won't call out his name because he may still be alive, Um, but at at the time that he was teaching my high school history class, his credential was actually in the athletics department. He, in fact, held no credential to teach history whatsoever, but they were shorthanded, so, you know, they they picked on the coach and said, you've got an open period here. Go teach a high school uh, history class, and he was the best history teacher I ever had. So once again, goes to the point that just because you're credentialed doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be successful at it. Well, yes, that's absolutely correct. And I'm just glad that that, uh, enough people spoke up, enough parents brought common sense and passion and unity to the state capitol so that uh, when it came time for, you know, for this legislation to, uh, to be voted on, they couldn't even have a motion Made. There was yeah, I heard that. Tell state. me about it. What, 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 all of it. what are they, just kind of all ran off with their tails between the legs that they couldn't even, after all of the testimony during the hearing, have enough for a, a quorum, for a legitimate vote? Yeah, it was a problem having a quorum because enough of them were just sort of wanting to stay away. Well, then it became obvious that they needed a quorum, so then they got some of them to, to, to come in, and, and then it was time for a motion, and none of them wanted to, to make the motion. So it literally... It died right there, you know, and was tabled. And uh, so I, I, I'm, I think it's just a, a huge 
um, success for the concept that even in California, uh, parents and others, when they get together, they unite, they can make a difference, even in Sacramento with the legislature, which is not known for being empathetic to the rights of parents. No, that that certainly is true. And as you and I have discussed down through the, the many, many years together on this radio program, uh, sometimes there are little wins, sometimes there are big wins, sometimes there are losses along the way. But it is always um, warming to the heart to see a big win. And in this case, my goodness, for the legislature and that committee to literally just sort of, you know, uh, disappear into the woodwork because nobody wanted to be the one to say, let me vote in favor of this. And, of course, <laughs> you know, the political motivation to not take off the CTA is very strong, too, with uh, due apologies for those of you that are uh, union members and yet not in uh, favor of the union agenda. And so to see that uh, they couldn't even get a quorum to vote on this thing, very telling, and a huge round of applause to all of you who voted on behalf of this, or I'm sorry, who, who well, voted, I guess that's the right word, thank you, yes, who who, who voted on behalf of this by by hearing having your voice heard in Sacramento, and again, as uh, attorney Brad Dacus points out, a huge win for uh, homeschooling parents across the state, and um, you know it's it's good. Glad to hear that this thing is went down in uh, the most embarrassing level of defeat. Can't even get a vote. That's pathetic. And uh, Jose Medina, you need to just kind of find somebody else to pick on. You know, my goodness. All right, there's an update from. The president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus. More information about the great work that they do, including this case at PacificJustice.org. That's PacificJustice.org. All right. Good news. Sometimes you listen to this show and say, Craig, you're always on the radio saying you got to write here, email there, call the other spot, protest this, comment to that, get a hold of your senators, call the governor, and you think, what an absolute waste of time. I like to occasionally be vindicated and proven that um, not all effort is for naught. And I know a lot of you in this audience are very active. As we hear, we hear stories. In fact, it was interesting to know Brad's off the line. Oh, it's too bad. I wanted to comment. Um, he mentioned to me in private conversation a couple of weeks ago that um, of all of the branch legal offices that they have across the western states, I think they're in like 13, 14 western states, by far they get some of the best response and greatest number of calls out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, that's in part because we've got a lot of issues here, but that's also in part because listeners like you are very involved, very proactive. Well, you just proved it last week with our campaign in partnership with Save the Children. 275 kids got saved, and you dug deep into your wallets to make that happen. So all I'm saying is, if you didn't participate this time because you thought, ah, this, this, you know, California is going to go the crazy way that it always does, and they'll vote this thing into law, here's proof positive that making the effort does indeed work. So hats off. Big round of applause to all of you. And uh, thank you very much. You don't know, we, we should keep a little crowd here on the side just in case we need you. <laughs> All right, we're going to let, oh, some of the gang needs to go use the restroom. We'll let them do right now here at 6 o'clock. And while they do that, we're going to let you hit the uh, 
The news on traffic and the latest here from the KFAX Traffic Center with Michael Bennett. Michael?